30th Sunday in Ordinary Time Prayer Psalm 126 When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who saw in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Reading the Word First reading, Jeremiah chapter 31 For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, Serve, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north, and gather them from the furthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them hope by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Second reading, Hebrews chapter 5. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is subject to weakness, and because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says, also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Gospel Mark chapter 10 They came to Jericho, as he and his disciples and a large crowd 
were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Hearing the Word Qualifications for Discipleship The call to holiness and to membership of God's kingdom is a universal one. In one sense, all are called to this great honor. However, today's liturgy teaches us that some crucial responses are needed from a prospective disciple in order to be qualified for the privilege of sharing in Jesus' life and mission. The first reading comes from the part of the book of Jeremiah known as the Book of Consolation and it contains an oracle of salvation. By offering a reassurance of future salvation, oracles of salvation usually aimed to console the Israelites who had been torn away from their country. The prophet delivered this particular oracle in response to the tragedy of the Babylonian exile, which brought about the destruction of the Israelite kingdom and a massive displacement of its population. Jeremiah consoles the exiles by speaking about the remnant of Israel. The remnant are those exiles who remain faithful to God and the law while living in the foreign lands. This remnant will eventually return to the Israelite homeland and begin the project of rebuilding and restoration. The prophet describes this remnant in three significant ways. First, the remnant will recruit from the members of the tribes of Judah and Ephraim. The names of these two tribes stand for the two parts of the Israelite kingdom, the north and the south, which both suffered the same tragic fate at different times in history. Those who return will represent and embody the entire nation. Second, the remnant would include the people who were normally marginalized and shunned 
by the community. The blind and the lame, because of their physical defects, were excluded from full participation in the life of the community and could not perform priestly services, even if they were Levites. Women who had just given birth were considered ritually impure and unable to enter the temple. By including such individuals among the remnant, Jeremiah emphasizes that neither social nor religious deficiencies will play a part when it comes to restoration. Even more significantly, these marginalized people were clearly incapable of defending themselves or fighting for freedom. The prophet thus emphasizes that the remnant will be empowered by God and that the restoration will be God's own project carried out even by those chosen for that purpose. Finally, there is one basic requirement for all those who form the remnant. In the last verse of our passage, the prophet portrays the remnant as coming back to the land with weeping. The exile happened because the Israelites severed their covenantal relationship with God by various acts of idolatry. The remnant comes back with tears because it understands and acknowledges the past mistakes and weeps in repentance. Repentance and the wholehearted return to God are the necessary conditions to be counted among the remnant and to be numbered among the membership in God's restored covenant community. Today's passage from the letter to the Hebrews looks at the issue of who is able to be a priest. The Israelite priests, first and foremost, had to come from the tribe of Levi. Their priesthood was their birthright. The high priest not only had to be a Levite, but also had to come from the family descending directly from Aaron. Such a high priest shared humanity with those whom he represented before God. As such, he was a sinful man who had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for those of the people. The author of Hebrews contrasts the Israelite high priest with Jesus the high priest of the new covenant. Jesus did not come from the family which would qualify him for the priestly office. He was not a Levite. How then could you call him the high priest? The author explains, citing two significant Old Testament passages. First, he appeals to Psalm chapter 2, which establishes Jesus parentage. In the words of the psalm, Jesus Christ traces his origin to God himself. He is God's only begotten son. As God's son, Jesus is perfectly qualified to serve as the high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. The second passage appeals to Melchizedek, quoting Psalm 110. The author describes the appointment of Jesus to the office of the priest 
by God's solemn pronouncement. He was appointed as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a mysterious priest king who had neither beginning of days nor end of life. Hebrews chapter 7 He is an internal priest, Jesus' priesthood, like that of Melchizedek, is permanent. Every human priest will die, but Jesus' priesthood is unending, as he himself is eternal. His credentials for the office of priest are his divinity as God's Son, and the divine appointment by his Father for a permanent priesthood. Today's Gospel story unfolds as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem. As he passes Jericho, a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, calls out to him with a plea for mercy. He addresses Jesus first as the son of David and then as my teacher. This reveals that Bartimaeus already has a good idea of who Jesus is. He believes that as David's son, Jesus fulfills the messianic hopes for restoration of the nation, calling him a teacher. But he confirms his faith that Jesus represents and teaches God's ways, leading to salvation. The blind man does not merely beg for restoration of his physical sight. He seeks to have his entire life changed, as is revealed by two other details of the story. First, the crowd tries to silence his cries, but this powerless and incapacitated man persists and shouts even louder. He knows that this is his only chance for restoration, that Jesus is the only one who can effect it. Second, when Jesus calls him, Bartimaeus throws away his cloak. The cloak was like his most precious possession. It kept him warm at night, and the alms he collected were likely to be hidden somewhere in that heavy covering. Throwing it off, Bartimaeus discards his former life and the little security he had and places all his hopes in Jesus. The healing that followed was the result of his faith, as Jesus himself affirmed. The outcome of the healing is a foregone conclusion. Bartimaeus does not go off to seek a better life. He is restored to health and begins a new life, attaching himself to Jesus. He becomes one of the disciples whose life will now be focused and governed by Jesus. His knowledge of and faith in Jesus enabled him to become a disciple. Membership of God's kingdom is open to all. However, there are certain responses which are required from believers. Jeremiah foresees that restoration of the nation will be carried out by the remnant. This elite group will consist of the people willing to acknowledge the mistakes of the past and reform their lives to act as God's faithful servants. In this view, repentance and the wholehearted return to God 
are required in order to be qualified for discipleship. Jesus was qualified for his special function as the high priest by virtue of his divinity. Still, he had to confirm his call to priesthood by being the faithful son who carried out the will of the Father to the point of dying on the cross. But Timaeus knew and believed Jesus. His plea for sight was a plea for restoration of his ability to follow Jesus. Such faith qualified him for discipleship, an opportunity which he fully embraced. Those who like Bartimaeus experience Jesus' restorative grace and become his disciple can truly sing with the psalmist, The Lord has done great things for us. Listening to the Word of God Today, we consider the issue of how one qualifies for the honor of discipleship. Are there any special qualifications that make one eligible to be counted among God's people, a member of the church, or a disciple of Christ? We are used to thinking that all people being equal qualify for discipleship. This is true. However, today's liturgy teaches that there are certain responses demanded of a person in order to become an authentic disciple. In many societies, including African traditional societies. People were chosen for special roles in the community by the virtue of birth. Thus only the chief's son could become his father's successor. The owner reigned in the family, in the Jewish society, to serve as a priest one had to become from a particular tribe and family, have no physical defects, and be a male. However, today's liturgy teaches that birth, physical qualities, and even gender do not determine or even limit one's eligibility to be Jesus' disciple and to follow him. Learning from our readings, we must acknowledge God's grace in opening the boundaries of his kingdom to all. Jesus came into the world bringing universal salvation. It is no longer determined by birthright or by belonging to a particular ethnic group or nation. Entry into God's kingdom is not based on something that is given to us independently of us. Rather, it is based on our response to God's invitation. For Jeremiah to become a member of the remnant dependent on having an attitude of repentance and the willingness to forego 
old ways and cooperate with God in his project of salvation. For Bartimaeus, following Jesus was his dream and desire, which he fervently pursued. That was his ambition, which was fulfilled because of his faith. In our groups and communities, we often consider the qualities of the members and judge people suitable for one function or another on the basis of their appearance or status. It is true that oftentimes the capacity for a particular ministry may be determined by the individual gifts or capacities of a community member. But these ministries are but a reflection of our universal call to be Jesus' disciples and members of God's kingdom. In this way, we cannot excuse ourselves when we respond to Jesus and his teaching half-heartedly or when we find excuses for inaction. An unwilling person, even if otherwise capable, becomes unfit for discipleship. Thinking about the theme of qualification for discipleship, the parable of the talents comes to mind. The servant who received only one talent was certainly capable of developing it, but he became ineligible for the honor of being the Lord's servant because he refused to use what he received and to develop it. We are all capable of fulfilling various roles and carrying out various ministries. But how willing are we to act with what we have? Undeniable, we grow through the efforts we make. By these efforts, we qualify for the great honor of being the disciples of Jesus and the co-workers of God in the great project of the restoration of the human family according to God's plan. While grateful for the numerous possibilities that God presents us with, we must also respond to them by pursuing that which we should value most. As Bartimaeus showed, the supreme goal for our life should be the honor of serving as Jesus' disciples. We are already capable of discipleship, but it is our determination and desire that makes us fit for it. Seeing is different than being told. Action. Self-examination. Why am I a Christian? What qualifies me to count myself 
among Jesus' disciples. Response to God During this week, I will spend some time every day thinking of the blind Bartimaeus and his plea for restoration of sight. I will repeat his cry for mercy in my heart whenever I feel the need for guidance and direction from Jesus. Response to your world I will identify one specific action or behavior that reflects Jesus' teaching and is relevant in the context of my life. I will perform this action repeatedly as means of fulfilling my call to discipleship. As a group, we will arrange for a meeting with a person who has lost sight and is willing to share their experiences of life, their ambitions, and their belongings. Lord Jesus, restorer and healer of the blind, extend your healing touch to me and cure my blindness so that with clarity of purpose and perception, I can follow you closely and practice your teaching faithfully. May I be made fit to partake in your kingdom and to share eternal life with you. Amen.